Hello, active and inactive listeners, you monarchs here to behold this swelling scene. I'm Dob, and this is my colleague and artist in arms, Madeline Waddle. Hi! Tonight we bring you Banquo's Banquet, installment five of Art and Radio Theater's production of Macaroon. It's Macron. No, the cookie. Macaron. The coconut one. Oh, okay, Macaroon it is. And an interview with those horrible hags, those powerful priestesses, those delightful divas, your favorite and waddles, the witches. Welcome to the Horn and Moon Presents on KMEW 98.5. Wow. The Cat, providing you with up-to-the-minute arts coverage for Arden County area. As always, we're kicking things off with the Arden County Arts Calendar. The fundraiser jam by Berries Berries was a success, and construction will begin on Claude Perkowski's new studio in the coming weeks. However, that still means Perkowski will not be hosting his weekly Night at the Studio workshop this week. But you can still get your artistic buzz on as Pete Neptune is hosting an Art of the Bee paint night this Friday. Reserve your easel set amongst the apiaries and paint to the slightly threatening hum of thousands of honeybees. Pete says if you are calm and just mind your own business, you are unlikely to be stung, but does recommend those with allergies stay at home. And more good news, Angus Mobile's Morris Dance for Peace has been going strong for five days now, four left, and they've already surpassed their fundraising goal. Dancers, keep those bells jingling. If you'd like to make a last-minute pledge, it's not too late. It's refreshing to have a week where there's nothing you can lay on the curse, Waddle. Don't count your bees before they sting, Dob. The curse is alive and well and only biding its time. Mark my words. Well then, folks, you better enjoy your time in the eye of the hurricane now. Last week, we left the show on a bit of a grim note as Banquo bled out on a hilltop, but also we grappled with some unease in the ART family. Any more to say about that tonight, Waddle? Not from me. We've all got a lot to ponder as the concerns were brought into the light, but uh, this time, I don't have any clear indication of how we'll be moving forward. Now, the idea has been floated that perhaps there's a tit-for-tat situation or solution to be had here. The writers of the letter come forward and members of the board come forward, get all our cards on the table and start hashing out the problems. Mike inequity, casting inconsistencies, and absence of leadership. I hate to take a grim view of things, but I don't see that as working. The whole thing is that we need trust, and I don't think any kind of tit-for-tat solution is going to make us trust each other more. We have to start trusting now before we can move forward. Surely you're not saying we need to sweep it all under the rug. No, no. Now, you know that I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. In fact, I can even be a little oblivious to antagonism, but... I have to admit that despite my staunch support of Arden Radio Theater, there are some problems. What I'd like to see is that the board hears the complaints of the Unknown Four and that they address them in the next season. Another reason for hashtag Waddleer. 
That is not what I was saying. Well, one thing, Waddle, I did want to make sure we address. The identities of the unknown four who crafted and submitted the airing of the grievances last week. I know there's been a lot of online speculation, and so I want to clarify for our listeners, Waddle and I don't know the identities of the four. We're not investigating them, and we will not be giving any airtime to speculation of identities or motives. That's right. And with that, I'm ready to set aside this particular topic and focus on what we've got coming up tonight in McBeezies. So by far, the highlight of this week's installment is Max Banquet and the arrival of a surprise guest. Now, if we were performing this upon a stage, there'd be a lot of discussion, argument about how or if the guest was going to appear, but that's not really an issue on the radio. Which I guess begs the question, how does a ghost appear on radio? That's probably an existential question for ghosts, don't you think? I would think it's possible, Waddle, that we will haunt the studio here when we pass. I hope so. I want to be here eternally, moaning and correcting people when they're wrong. Meowing and correcting people? Can you imagine how frustrating it would be for us to try to record when there's a constant ghostly rattling of chains being picked up on the mics? I feel like chains just wouldn't be in fashion for a radio ghost. You have to imagine that a radio ghost is recent enough to have some sort of connection to the station, right? But aren't chains like Chanel of ghost attire classic and classy? The line between classic and cliche is incredibly thin. Here's the thing. I'm going to be honest. I am so relieved every time we do a show with ghosts that we're not doing it on stage. They're always supposed to be scary, but they're always just trying real hard and it always turns comic. Well, I think when you boil it down, it's not really the ghost's responsibility to be scary. Then what are the ghost's responsibilities? Oh, I don't know. Resolving unfinished business and reminding people of their terrible faults and their own responsibilities? But in this case, that ghost kind of shirked his responsibilities when he was alive, so I don't expect him to be very effective at it now. We are not getting into that today. You know that I very much disagree with you. Fine, let's look ahead a little. Today we're interviewing the witches in advance of their big scene next week. Yes, we're going to make a spooky, if not triumphant, return. We really haven't talked much about your acting in this. How has it been being a supernatural being of unlimited power? A big change. I mean, in real life, I'm about as intimidating as a garden snail, so it's been a delicious challenge to push myself to be more aggressive. Because Spalberg has gone very real with the witches. There's nothing Halloween about y'all. No, I mean, just playing them, just pretending to have that kind of power, it's like a natural high. You definitely get a buzz from it. I've seen a lot of productions where it feels like the witches are ultimately pulling the strings for everything else that happens. Does it feel like that's true here? Absolutely. They are the power behind the throne, 100%. Ah, art imitating life. How so? You're a born string puller, Waddle. (laughs) Don't be silly. I think we'll be getting into that more in today's interview, but for now... Here are the fine actors of art with Macbeth, Banquo's Banquet.
Arden Radio Theater presents Macbeth, Part 5, Banquo's Banquet. The stars have clouded over, and a cold drizzle falls upon the body of Banquo. Inside the palace, torches burn brightly, and in a room of state, rich and vibrant tapestries oversee a host of servants as they set the banquet table. Silver platters of pheasant and peafowl, honeyed cakes and ewers of fortified wine, salt cellars filled and expectant, bowls of spices rich and aromatic, redolent of distant shores, proof of a king that would spare no expense at his table. The parade of servants is never-ending. The platters dwarf their carriers and seem to march along, borne on their own party-colored legs. But the happy clatter of the work is silenced, and the servants melt into the tapestries as lords and courtiers arrive. Loudly they praise the meal, the palace, their king, but in the shadows linger whispers of another sort. The king and queen and all their retinue enter. You know your own degrees. Sit down. At first and last, the hearty welcome. Thanks to your majesty. Ourself will mingle with society and play the humble host. Our hostess keeps her state, but in best time we will require her welcome. Pronounce it for me, sir, to all our friends, for my heart speaks they are welcome. See, they encounter thee with their hearts' thanks. Both sides are even, here I'll sit in the midst. Be large in mirth, anon we'll drink a measure, the table round. There's blood upon thy face. Tis Banquo's then. Tis better thee without than he within. Is he dispatched? My lord, his throat is cut. That I did for him. Thou art the best of the cutthroats. Yet he is good that did the like for Flayance. If thou didst it, thou art the nonpareil. Most royal sir, Flayance escaped. Then comes my fit again. I had else been perfect, whole as the marble, founded as the rock, and broad and general as the casing air. But now I am cabined, crypt confined, bound into saucy doubts and fears. But Banquo's safe. Aye, my good lord, safe in a ditch he bides, with twenty trenched gashers on his head, the least a death to nature. Thanks for that. There the grown serpent lies. The worm that's fled hath nature that in time will venom breed. No teeth for the present. Get thee gone. Tomorrow we'll hear ourselves again. My royal lord, you do not give the cheer. The feast is sold that is not often vouched. While tis a making, tis given with welcome. To feed were best at home. From thence, the sauce to meet is ceremony. Meeting were bare without it. Sweet remembrancer, now good digestion wait on appetite, and health on both. May it please your highness sit? Here had we now our country's honored roof, where the graced person of our Banquo present, who may I rather challenge for unkindness than pity for mischance. His absence, sir, lays blame upon his promise. Please, your highness, to grace us with your royal company. The table's full. Here is a place reserved, sir. Where? Here, my good lord. There in the seat offered to the king, invisible to all else, Macbeth sees a familiar figure, unnaturally still. 
It is the bloody Banquo. What is it that moves, Your Highness? Which of you hath done this? What, my good lord? Thou canst not say I did it. Never shake thy gory locks at me. Gentlemen, rise. His Highness is not well. Sit, worthy friends. My lord is often thus, and hath been from his youth. I pray you, keep seat. The fit is momentary. Upon a thought, he will be well again. If much you note him, you shall offend him and extend his passion. Feed and regard him not. Are you a man? I, and a bold one that dare look on that which might appall the devil. Oh, proper stuff. This is the very painting of your fear. This is the air-drawn dagger which you said led you to Duncan. Oh, these flaws and starts. Impostors to true fear would well become a woman's story at a winter's fire, authorized by her granddam. Shame itself. Why do you make such faces? When all's done, you look but on a stool. Prithee, see there. Behold, look, lo, how say you? Why, what care I, if thou canst nod, speak too. If charnel houses and our graves must send those that we bury back, our monuments shall be the maws of kites. What, quite unmanned in folly? If I stand here, I saw him. I for shame. Blood hath been shed ere now, the time has been that when the brains were out, the man would die, and there an end. But now they rise again with twenty mortal murders on their crowns and push us from our stools. This is more strange than such a murder is. My worthy lord, your noble friends do lack you. I do forget. <clears throat> do not muse at me, my most worthy friends. I have a strange infirmity which is nothing to those that know me. Come, <clears throat> love and health to all. Then I'll sit down. Give me some wine, fill, full. I drink to the general joy of the whole table and to our dear friend, Benquo, whom we miss. Would he were here. To all and him we thirst and all to all. Our duties and the pledge. Avant, and quit my sight. Let the earth hide thee. Thy bones are marrowless. Thy blood is cold. Thou hast no speculation in those eyes which thou dost glare with. Think of this, good peers, but as a thing of custom. Tis no other, only it spoils the pleasure of the time. What man dare? I dare. Approach, thou like the rugged Russian bear, the armed rhinoceros, or the hurricane tiger. Take any shape but that, and my firm nerves shall never tremble. Or be alive again, and dare me to the desert with thy sword. If trembling I inhabit, then protest me the baby of a girl. Hence, horrible shadow, unreal mockery, hence. So being gone, I am a man again. Pray you sit still. You have displaced the mirth, broke the good meeting with most admired disorder. Can such things be? 
and overcome us like a summer's cloud without our special wonder? You make me strange even to the disposition that I owe, when now I think you can behold such sights and keep the natural ruby of your cheeks when mine is blanched with fear. What sights, my lord? I pray you, speak not. He grows worse and worse. Question enrages him. At once, good night. Stand not upon the order of your going, but go at once. Good night, and better health attend his majesty. A kind good night unto you all. It will have blood, they say. Blood will have blood. Stones have been known to move in trees to speak. Augurs and understood relations have by maggot pies and choffs and rooks brought forth the secretest man of blood. What is the night? Almost at odds with morning, which is which. How sayst thou that Macduff denies his person at our great bidding? Did you send to him, sir? I hear it by the way, but I will send. There's not a one of them but in his house I keep a servant feed. I will tomorrow, and betimes I will, to the weird sisters. More shall they speak, for now I am bent to know by the worst means the worst. For mine own good all causes shall give way. I am in blood stepped in so far that should I wait no more, returning were as tedious as go over. Strange things I have in head that will to hand which must be acted ere they may be scanned. You lack the season of all natures. Sleep. Come, we'll to sleep. My strange and self-abuse is the initiate fear that wants hard use. We are yet but young indeed. The corridors of the palace are now empty of the living, and if the dead still walk them, their footfalls are silent and their grisly, bloodied faces go unseen. In their bed, Macbeth only counterfeits sleep, while his wife sleeps too deeply, her mind giving her body leave to wander. Both their souls teem with ghosts, the young and the old, those they sent hither and those they grieve. Will they overcome this self-inflicted penance? Join us next week when an apparition says, Beware Macduff. And the witches are in the studio and ready to go. But before that, let me remind our listeners about this week's line of the week. Never shake thy gory locks at me. Mention the line of the week at Filario's Pizza Pie for $5 off a brick oven pizza. Yell it with a sense of terror and you'll probably get it for free. That's not a real offer, but I assume they will do anything to get you to leave. Okay, so we are here with Celia Tittle, who plays the first witch. Hi. Art veteran Mariah Smythe, who plays Witch 3. Hello, everyone! And, of course, our own Waddle, who plays Witch 2. I'm going to get this started with a softball question. Are there limits to the witch's powers? And if not, why don't they interfere more directly in the events of the play? Anybody? 
They've intentionally chosen the level of involvement that they want to have. The limit of their power is literally set by their own intention. So why do they only do as much as they do then? Which is remarkably little. I think they're just a catalyst. I mean, they don't need to do more because everybody else starts to fill in the gaps once they get the ball rolling. They're not going to get anything out of it. Why would they even want to interfere more directly? I completely agree. If you wanted to have more responsibility, I mean, if you're in charge of how everything turns out, I don't know. It sounds like a lot to me. Right, but they, they it's more like they just like throw the throw the Molotov cocktail in and then they run away. It's not like they actually um, see it through to the end. I mean, spoiler alert, but you're all here next week and then we don't see you again. I mean, the house still burns down, Dob. But is that what they want? They just want it to burn down? And does it really burn down? I mean, the kingship is restored at the end of the play. Yeah, but like, look at everything that gets destroyed. It might be fun to just kind of throw that Molotov cocktail in there and then see what happens. So are you saying that the witches don't bear any responsibility for the events of the play? Couldn't they have saved lives? Is it the tempter's fault that a person takes temptation? I mean, is it the chocolate's fault that it's there or is it your fault for eating it? You know what I'm saying? I agree 100%. Really just make a couple of predictions and they take it into their own hands. I mean, in reality, the limit of our power is actually set by other people. They can choose not to believe us and then nothing happens. Or they can choose not to act on what we've told them and nothing happens. So really, they invest us in power by choosing to believe and choosing to take action. And they ultimately are responsible. So so you walk into a room and say, hey, you're going to be king. And then, and then the fact that he slaughters four people to get there is totally his own fault? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if it's a prophecy, it's going to come true whether you kill anybody or not. So why to go killing people? I mean, I'm reminded of our interview with Agnes Belmont earlier when she talked about the yonic power that Ladium <laughs> is tapping into. And I think a similar thing is happening with the witches. You know, they don't have a lot of political power. Maybe they are happy just to have the power they have, and this is the power that they can wield, so this is what they will do with it. Well said. I agree. Celia, what do you think about that? I mean, they don't really have a lot of power in the world, I guess, except for this. So maybe they don't want to go out and kill people to get more power. Like, they're not bad people. So they just take the gifts that they were given and do their thing. I think the reality is, Dob, that you have a little bit of an obsession with this because of the impotence of your role, Satan, on the outcome of the play. I think you have actory thoughts and feelings you need to get off your chest about his power or lack thereof. Yeah, he doesn't have any. Why on earth would you write in a character, give him a super ominous name, bring him in late in the play, and then suddenly he doesn't do anything, right? Directors all the time are trying to make him the third murderer or trying to make him one of the witches or anything else just to explain why this random dude shows up at the end of the play to do nothing worthwhile at all. 
yeah, I guess you're right. I, I don't see the point in, in having any character that doesn't impact the plot. So how much personal responsibility should Satan bear because he doesn't do anything? I mean, that's essentially what you're asking us. Yeah, absolutely. He should have done something about it. He's right there, but not until after everybody's been slaughtered. I mean, he, he can't really stop any of, the, any of the murders. Macbeth is already king by the time he comes into the play, even in our production. Um, you know, I'm there before Banquo's killed, but I'm just letting some guys in. I don't know who they are. Anyway, this brings me to the recent anonymous letter regarding ART. Where do you all stand on that? Should these complaints be, have been made more directly or was this the right way to go about it? You know, I, for one, just hate to think that people feel like they can't talk to us. You know, I mean, we all got into this because we all wanted to make art together. And I hate to think that people don't feel comfortable talking to each other. But I think if people have problems, we should address them. Try to make it better. We don't want to be doing things in a way that's disrespectful to anybody. And we definitely want to respect people's feelings. I just kind of wish it was more open about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I, I think that putting forward a anonymous letter is so like passive aggressive college roommate garbage, you know, I mean, Jasper and I did this to each other all the time and, and we weren't friends for years after college. I think you're right, Mariah. Well, and I don't disagree with anybody who signed it, you know, you got to say how you feel, but it should be more open, I think. But I think if you try and get into the heads of the people that wrote the letter, like if I were putting myself in one of their shoes, mm, um, so, okay, put myself in the shoes of one of the people that wrote that letter, and you have this anonymous board that is doing these things that people view as unfair, then if you do that out in the open, how is that going to make them do things that are more fair if they're already doing things that are unfair to you? Well, I think, I think we're all agreed that, that there are some, some issues and problems that we have to fix. But the, the heart of the question is, how do you really solve anonymous problems with, with more anonymity? You know, you have to you have to be willing to take a stand, take responsibility, you know? I think that if the board reveals themselves first, then that might make the anonymous people who wrote the letter a little bit more comfortable, right? Because they don't have the power, the board has the power. So I think that they need to make that first step. I just... I just don't think it's okay that people feel like they aren't being treated fairly. And I think that we have to put a stop to stuff like that. I agree. And I think now, at least through the letter, we know, I mean, I felt so blindsided and oblivious to the way people were feeling. But now that we know, maybe it really isn't about 
anonymity at all. Maybe it's just about addressing those problems and maybe that can happen in the next season. I'm very hopeful that it may. Okay, but the, the problem is, Waddle, and I promise I'll move back to the play really soon, but you and I are the voice of art, like it or not, right? Everybody associates us, so if anything happens anonymously, you know we get angry letters about the choice of shows and the choice of casting and the choice of directors. Now we're starting to get all these emails about, about the letter. Um, anonymity just puts the responsibility on us and we had no say in it to begin with. Let me just quote a lesser known bard than Shakespeare and say, you take the good, you take the bad, you take it all. And then you have the facts of the horned moon. I mean, we support art and we think the work they're doing is important, but it's not perfect. So we, we have to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's just part of the deal. Okay. All right. So you're all characters who tell the future in the play. What are your prognostications for art? What do you want to see? What don't you want to see? Art needs to reveal who they are and then let us understand why they're making some of the decisions that they're making. But do you think that's necessary if they just make the changes that we want to see made? If they resolve the problems, do we have to know who they are? I, I think next season we will see that these issues have been addressed to our satisfaction. I think transparency will help make things more smooth and open transparency in the so future. So with this whole campaign to install Waddle as the director of King Lear next season, hashtag Waddle Lear. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I trust Waddle. What roles would you two be looking for in Waddle Lear? You have the potential director right here in the studio, unable to leave her chair. Edmund. <laughs> you would make the sweetest Edmund, Celia. Just adorable. Yes, I don't think I've ever seen an Edmund and I could describe as adorable, but I've also never seen witches quite like how you all are playing them either, so. You know, I'd just be honored to be a part of it. And this feels like an excellent place to end it with a question from Shakespeare's Bag of Questions. Waddle, do you have the bag? I do. I'm pulling a question now. And the question is from Henry IV, Part Two. Why should that gentleman that rode by Travers give them such instances of loss? Why should that gentleman that rode by Travers give them such instances of loss? Mariah? I mean, don't hate the messenger, you know, would be my answer to that question. Fair, fair. Celia? What are you thinking, Celia? We haven't gotten to that one in my literature class yet. You probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> and Waddle, do you have an answer? You're an interviewee this week. Yeah, you know, I think because there were such instances of loss, 
that's why he gave them because they were profound words as always madeline waddle all right well join us next week for the next installment of macadoodle do we'll be back with none of women born and interviewing the big man himself benedict mott until then all we have to say is this show is our show and these dogs are our dogs we're waddle and dob and this has been the horned moon presents if this podcast has offended think but this and all is mended that this a work of fiction is nothing real but for coincidence our show is written by merlin cusell and produced by me marshall b garrett with help from charlie johnson merlin and i play waddle and dob our guests this week were Tess Garrett as Celia Tittle and Alexis Savon as Mariah Smythe. J. Andrew Dickinson composes our music, which is mixed by Eric Bostic. You can find out more about the show and all of us who make it at thehornedmoonpresents.com. If you're looking for a little bit of escape from the real world, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, where all you'll hear about is Arden County. So like, subscribe if we be friends. Next week, Macduff's whole life upends. 